Hey, Eastview, it's so good to be with you again. Three out of four weeks. I'm telling you, there's... Wasn't uh, expected, and I am representing today. It, it, it's true. I, I had to, I was like, all right. I told Tyler, I said, I'm going to, I'm going to wear uh, what I would wear back home. And uh, every year this time I take off the weekend and I'll attend the early service, but I watch every game with my son and my boys. We've always loved it, but one of my boys in particular, we just, and I can't remember, it's been years and years since we're, we're a big basketball junkie family. Uh, and later on today, uh, Baylor University plays Creighton, a school that some of you, of course, be familiar with back when they were playing in the conference here and uh, I think with ISU. But uh, big game today, looking forward to that later. But, but listen, since I'm speaking today on false hope, I ain't putting any false hope. Not after all these upsets, you know what I'm saying? I mean, I'm like, no, I don't have any false hope. Hey, if you have your Bibles today, would you please, and I want to welcome those of you at our other campuses, those of you watching online, uh, turn to the book of Jeremiah is where we're going to be. Jeremiah chapter 23, we're going to look at three verses. Jeremiah chapter 23, we are going to unpack three verses. And uh, last time I was here with you, I talked to you about hope as wishful thinking. That is hope as something good that, that you want to have happen versus the biblical form of hope, which is hope as expectant believing. And hope as expectant believing is very different because when you have hope as wishful thinking, you say, hey, there's something good that I want to happen. Hope as expectant believing is something good that I know is going to happen. Why? Because the grounding agent of our hope becomes God and his word. It's that is, God is who he says he is, and God's going to do exactly what he says he is going to do. Therefore, everything that I read in the word of God, where God is communicating who he is or what he is going to do, I can count on it as the one who is the hoper, who is doing the act or action of hoping for what? For some future desired outcome but the grounding agency is everything. If I ground it in secular philosophy, I'm bankrupt. If I ground it in my own opinions, it's going to turn out distorted or evaporate. But when I can ground it into the character, nature, essence, in other words, when I ground it into the personal integrity of Almighty God, then I know He is who He says He is. And I know He's going to do exactly what He says He's going to do. Now hope becomes expectant, believing. Now, in the middle of hope, though, you have these seasons and these periods where you start to lose some confidence and you lose some faith and you're looking for a favorable outcome. You're looking for something to turn out the way that you hope that it will turn out. And it doesn't always do that. And so then your hope begins to strengthen even in the course of the difficulty. Because here's one of the misnomers. Hope is strengthened through immense difficulty, not immediate deliverance. It's not our immediate deliverance from a struggle or an obstacle or a difficult circumstance that hope arises. It's when we meet up against difficult circumstances and we're in the middle of immense difficulty and the Lord does not always provide immediate, what, deliverance, delivery from the pain or immediate relief that we're strengthened. And the reason often I believe biblically that the Lord leaves us in this it's because he's preparing us for something greater later, and our hope has to be strengthened. Now, nobody 
ever has anything strengthened by lowering resistance. If you uh, start training to get yourself in shape uh, and you do strength training or what is called also resistance training, nobody gets stronger. Like, so you, I, if I had a workout partner and I went to the gym and he said, hey, I, I'm gonna get stronger. I'm gonna really get ripped. I'm gonna get, you know, shredded. Okay, what are you doing? I, I'm gonna get jacked. I am going to uh, lower the resistance and the intensity. I'm like, uh, that's not gonna do it. And all of a sudden he starts working out and he's lowering the resistance. And then I notice he starts skipping reps. And then the next week I come and work out and he's skipping entire exercise. I'm like, what are you doing? I'm, get, I'm getting strong. What? I'm skipping, I'm skipping things now. I'm, and then the following week, he's over in the corner sipping on a Coke not working out at all. I'm like, what are you doing? Oh, I'm getting jacked. I'm getting strong. I'm, what do you, uh, you're not even, no, I'm not. In fact, well, what, well, in fact, next week, I'm going to resist coming to the gym altogether in my resistance training. All right. It's like, and then the following week I see him, he's like, what are you doing? Well, just like me, I mean, there's resistance training on the couch uh, with a half gallon of back in Texas, of bluebell ice cream, tackling it, showing it it's who's boss Sunday nights. And, uh, and what you just, you know, you put on your favorite, you know, chocolate syrup, squeeze it all over, put on a lot of whipped cream on it. And then what do you do? Oh, I'm doing resistance training. Check out my guns, check out my quad, check out how strong I'm getting because, because what? Because I'm not having any resistance whatsoever. No, 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 no. All strengths, even the strength of hope comes through Intense and immense resistance over a period of time where your heart gets to rock bottom. You get to the bottom of yourself and all you have is God. Now you're stripped of everything. Now there is nothing in us that we elevate to a place of idolism, right? There's no idolatry. Uh, there is no factory then in the heart because as Calvin said, John Calvin said, you know, our heart is a perpetual idol factory, which there's a ton of truth to that. And, and what happens? Our hearts then and our hope is strengthened through the immense difficulty, not the immediate deliverance. This is why Romans 5, 3 and 4 says, not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character, hope. Listen to that. Suffering produces perseverance, then perseverance elicits character, and character then generates hope. And when your hope is being strengthened, you will be tempted to turn to false hope. And this is what I want to speak to you about today, is the tendency to turn to false hope. False hope is putting hope in anyone or anything other than God. To have false hope, biblically, it's putting hope in anyone or anything other than God. It's easy to do, isn't it? You put your hope in your finances because that's your security. It's false hope. It's elusive. You put your, your hope in a, uh, in a nest egg that this is what's going to be my security and take care of me. You put your false hope uh, in a philosophy or a secular idea or a different worldview, and then it ends up bankrupt. You put your false hope in some bill of goods that's been sold to us by corporate America, uh, by some marketer. You put your false hope in a marriage, 
And somehow through your marriage, you elevate that spouse into demagoguery and you're gonna live your life or your children vicariously living through them as though that's where all of your life and your hope is. Anyone or anything other than God that we put our hope in, like this is what's gonna make me okay. This is what's gonna make me secure. This is what's gonna make me peaceful. This is what's gonna make me feel better becomes a problem. So Jeremiah, the prophet, God tells him, hey, the nation of Israel seems to have a real problem of putting their hope in false places. And Jeremiah says to them, the Lord has told me in the middle of all the idolatry that you have going on, there's one particular main issue that is the problem with your false hope. Jeremiah chapter 23, starting in verse 16. This is what the Lord Almighty says so Jeremiah's like, look, the Lord's given me a message and I'm passing on what the Lord has told me to tell you. Do not listen to what the prophets are prophesying to you. But wait a second, you are a prophet. Well, yes, I'm a prophet, but I am bringing you the true word of God is against these images of these other false prophets. They fill you with false hopes. Now he's saying, now listen, you gotta stop listening to these prophets because they fill you with false hopes. And then he gets real specific and he says, let me tell you what the Lord wants to say to you. Because this is what the Lord Almighty has said, what? To me, to Jeremiah, and I am passing this on. He's like, I'm just the conduit of this, right? I'm the messenger. They speak visions from their own minds, not from the mouth of the Lord. Let's read that again. They speak visions from their own minds, not from the mouth of the Lord. This has to be the primary source of all false hope in the world, not just then, but to this very day. False hope comes from the minds of men, not from the mouth of God. False hope always comes from the minds of men, not from the mouth of God. In fact, it is a what? It is vision. Notice what it says here. They speak visions. You know what a vision is? A vision is when you see something that is and you want it to be different. In fact, I'd say it kind of layers like this. This is how circumstances actually are. This is now how circumstances could be. And then now what? Therefore, these circumstances should be. So I see something that is and what it is, number one. Number two, then you and I do what? Then we say, well, but something else could be. Now you're starting to cast vision. But when does vision really take root? Just because you dreamed it up or because you put it into action? Now, when you put it into action, and you know when you put it into action, you say it not just could be, it should be. How many things move forward and move from an idea to an action-oriented outcome because somewhere along the road, mankind has made a specific decision and they speak it and then it moves forth, but it comes out of their own mind. It never comes from the heart of God. In fact, really and truly, this has given the world a ton of false hope. If you actually even just look at the enlightenment itself, okay, let's just, just put on your thinking cap with me. You're smart people, okay? You're intelligent people. Just think just for a moment about this. 
you get back to what mankind did through the age of the Enlightenment, really with the, starting with some of the French philosophers uh, in the 17th century, uh, 18th century, you start seeing a massive movement that then gets all over Europe, all over the United States, that the Western Hemisphere buys into deeply, and it's spoken visions from what? I'm, I'm using Jeremiah's words, spoken visions from the minds of men. It's just spoken visions. Okay, so here's what they're gonna do. We're gonna make things better. So here came all these different philosophies. And here's what the basic movement of the Enlightenment was. And is through more knowledge and increased investment in technology we can, and political science and political theories, we can fix our problems and make the world a better place. So what happened? So you started getting all of these different philosophies that started coming out. You get naturalism or materialism, you know, that all there is is nature. There is no supernatural or transcendent. So God's not even real. This really started moving through the logic and movement of the enlightenment. Then you get people like Karl Marx that come out of it, right? And what Marx say? Marx comes and says, There's, I'm alienated from four people groups. This, this is the, the theory of Marx, right? I'm alienated from nature. I'm alienated from work. I'm alienated from others. And I'm alienated from myself. <laughs> he stops short. He's right. We all are alienated from nature, work, others, and self. But they all stop short in their philosophical underpinnings of calling it what it is. Nobody wants to call it Sin. No, 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 let's not talk about, don't talk about sin. Oh, you had to go there, pastor. You're one of those traditionalists. Yes, I am one of those traditionalists. Now, so, so see, here's what happens. So you start getting Freud saying it's just a God delusion, right? It's a God illusion, really. It's a, everybody's really just looking for a father figure. So there's Freud. There's, so there's the psychology. You get sociologists moving. You get the intellects. You get David Hume saying it's material. It's all natural. The British empiricists. You get all this movement that just keeps going. And so culture starts to say, we're going to fix ourselves. And so what happens? So Marx comes along and says, here's my political theory and political science. And so still to this day, man puts their false hopes in political messiahs that are going to deliver us. And they're not. They're never going to deliver us. It's not going to happen. If, it, if, it, if we could have fixed it, so what do we, we're going to make it better. And literally, you start looking at sociology, you look at psychology, you look at scientific methodology, reductionism. What scientific methodology was, we're going to reduce it all down and figure out what's inside of this, inside of this, inside of this. Well, we slowed it down slow enough to where we could look at subatomic particles, particle accelerators. We can look at it. We're like, but we still can't get down to the base root of it. Here's what we thought we were gonna do. We're gonna take biology and show that it's all nothing but chemistry in the end. It's all really nothing but physics. It's really just about matter and, and, and pieces. And we can reduce it all down, reductions. We can get this thing figured out. Now we can take all of our philosophy and our technology and all of our knowledge, and we're gonna stop all this nonsense and these wars, but we gotta rescue ourselves from two kings. We got to rescue ourselves from the state, literally kings in our lives. And we got to rescue ourselves from the church, from the religious leaders, those kings, because they're keeping the masses oppressed. If you look at the collective aspect of the movement of the age of enlightenment, they were going to fix the world and there'd be no more problems. You know what the enlightenment ended up producing? Atomic bombs, nuclear weapons, 
You're like, whoa, 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 Pastor. No, this isn't political. This is deeply spiritual. Listen, here's what I'm saying is, the 20th and 21st centuries have moved to be the most deadly, bloodiest centuries. There is more genocides going on in the 20th and 21st century. Out of the vision and minds of men, we're going to fix the world without God's help. That's what the Enlightenment's about. We got this figured out. Now scientific methodology gets final word over God's word. And that's what we did. We elevated all these things, right? And what happened? I don't personally think that the world got better. In fact, I think the world got more difficult. Here's, what was, here's the bottom line. The Enlightenment said religion is the biggest problem. The kings are the problems. Let's rid ourselves of the kings through knowledge, information, reason, and philosophy, and then through technology, let's all build better lives together, and this will be for the people. And what ended up happening is following the Enlightenment, we have some of the worst world wars and genocides in all of history. Humanity did not get better, and the, and the sociologists, even that aren't even believers, have declared so. So what happened? Man cast visions to give hope for a world, but they tried to do it without calling the root problem out. Sin. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. If we can start with that as our base, oh, but we don't want to listen to the theologians. We don't listen to the traditional pastor talking about sin. But what is it? The false hope that I can make my life better without repenting. See, if I acknowledge that I have sin, I must repent because I have to believe that I've sinned against someone or something. I have to declare that there is a transcendent God that I've sinned against. Now I have a need to set things right in fellowship, which means I'm gonna have to repent. And that's what they don't wanna do. We don't wanna humble ourselves. So this is what the Lord Almighty says. Do not listen to what the prophets are prophesying to you. They fill you with false hopes. They speak visions from their own minds, not from the mouth of the Lord. False hope is from the minds of men, not from the mouth of the Lord God Almighty. Therefore, we must call what our false hopes and visions are. Same thing with marketing. So the modern day marketing is buy this product, you'll feel better. Consume this and your life will increasingly have more meaning. Right? So what do we do? Men and women, right? Humanity casts a vision for a better life, often through marketing products, and this is not from the mouth of God. God has always said through his mouth, from his word, that what? The more you have, the more responsibility you have to be generous and give stuff away. God's always communicated, not to, not to consume. You can enjoy certain things, right? But it is to be able to be a generous giver. He's very clear that the Lord has always spoken and made it clear that there are certain things that a person puts their heart to or puts their mind to and thinking it's going to bring fulfillment and it's not going to bring that fulfillment. Now, I want you to see something here, though. He goes on. Let's ju jump ahead here. Verse 17. They keep saying to those who despise me, the Lord says you will have peace. So these false prophets keep saying to the other people who despise, they don't want to hear about sinfulness and repentance. They don't want to hear that they have idols in their hearts, that they've put someone or something in their heart thinking this is going to, right? 
Again, this is what the marketers do. You just get this thing and your life will be better. You just experience this. Your life is going to be more meaningful. The empty, hollow, deceptive philosophies that Hebrews talks about. It's not going to make our lives better. They keep saying to those who despise me, the Lord says, you'll have peace. Well, that comes from hope. And to all who follow me, uh, follow the stubborn, and to all who follow the stubbornness of their hearts, they say, no harm will come to you. They send this message of hope and peace. Verse 18, but which of them has stood in the counsel of the Lord to see or to hear his word? Jeremiah says, which of these prophets have stood in the counsel of the Lord? The counsel is all of his word. For us today, the Old and the New Testaments, the 66 books that we have, 39 in the Old, 27 books in the New Testament. Who has listened and heard his word? He's now getting real clear. He's like, no, no, no. Don't listen to the false voices that tell you this is how we're gonna fix things. There's only one way we fix things is we listen to the word of God. The word of God says that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. The word of God says that all of us have fallen into sin and that's where our alienation comes from. See, Karl Marx got his entire political science, political economics, and political theory. He stopped short. Yes, he's right. We are alienated from nature since the fall of Adam and Eve. We, there is an alienation in creation. You can feel it. It's exactly why Romans chapter eight says, it, Apostle Paul says, I'm groaning for a better world. That's why C.S. Lewis wrote about, if you can imagine and perceive a better world, it's because one actually exists speaking about the coming kingdom, the kingdom of heaven. Of course, it's in the hearts and minds of men and women that they want something better. But we must say first, well, here's this alienation and we are alienated from work. Work is not always the pleasure it's supposed to be. And we are alienated from others. That's why there, there's so much of a need for a forgiveness message. That's why this preaching a simple forgiveness message has such impact from the word of God because we all need that. And there is alienation against self. You're like, where do you get that? Romans chapter seven, the apostle Paul says, who will save me from me? What does he say? He says, every time I wanna do the right thing, I find that evil is right there with me. There is a war raging inside of me, Paul says. You think he doesn't find alienation with himself because of the sinfulness in his heart? And so what happened is Marx had all that right. He just stopped short of calling what he needed to do. He needed to say, I'm alienated from God. See, that's where he stopped. He had this four, you need your, your what's driving these other alienations? You're alienated from God. And you need to repent of your sins and turn to your creator and find true hope and put your hope in his word, not in the visions, deceptive, hollow, empty philosophies that come from the world. But people don't want to hear that. But what Jeremiah is saying here, verse 18, false hope is a spoken vision from the minds of men, while true hope is the spoken word from the mouth of God. You get it? Here, here's the deal, Eastview, all of us today, right? Every marketing message, every worldview, every philosophy that is pontificated, right? Every single thing that comes forth. You and I get to decide what we're going to do with that. And Jeremiah the prophet says, God told me, thus saith the Lord, false hope is spoken visions from the minds of men how to make the world better, how to make you better 
how to give you meaning and hope in this world, life, right? While true hope is the spoken word from the mouth of God. And oh, what it means to hang on to the word of God. This is how God, so when you think about a vision, the vision of what? The enlightenment said, this is how things are. This is how things could be. Therefore, this is how things should be. And the philosophies were enacted on by the Western hemisphere and by much of even the East. And what happened? The world is not a better place because that is not where real life change occurs. It occurs in repentance. It occurs when we go, oh, I've got someone or something that's in my heart other than God. My heart is a perpetual idol factory. Therefore, anything that takes the throne gets dethroned and I put all of my hope in you, Lord. Whatever you say, because you are who you say you are and you are going to do exactly what you say that you are going to do. Psalm 130 verse five, I wait for the Lord. My whole being waits and in his word, I put my hope. Every morning for me to sit at, the first thing I like to do is get out of my bed and, and kneel at my bed for a very, very brief prayer. I, I pray the same prayer over and over. I, I, I love praying a simple rote prayer and I mean it and I do it in different ways, but it basically said, goes like this. My feet hit the floor and I, I say, thank you, Lord. This is a day that you have made. I'll rejoice and be glad in it. Whatever you want to do with this day today, I look forward to right? My encounters with you because your mercies are new every morning. So today, teach me to love you with all of my heart, soul, strength, and mind. Teach me to fear you with all of my heart, soul, strength, and mind. Teach me to find all of my joy in you with all of my heart, soul, strength, and mind. You said that in you, my joy can be complete. And then I go straight into our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. I tell him something great about his name. His name is the name above all names. There is no other name under heaven by which man can be saved than the name of the Lord. And then I go from our father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name to thy kingdom come, thy will be done. I'm like, Lord, you want your will to be done. Start with me. Please, Lord, show me how you want your will to be done in and through me today. Do not let me resist your will and forgive me for the places where I am governed by the flesh and not by the spirit. And then I go from that into thanking him for my daily bread, right? Then, this, then the movement of the Lord's prayer, this, your will be done on earth. Give us this day our daily bread. And I thank him for the food I ate yesterday. And then I start thinking about some of the food I'll eat today. And then, and then I move straight into, and forgive us our trespasses. We forgive those who trespass against us. Lord, is there anyone that, that, that I am not having a forgiving spirit toward? Set me free from that. And where Father, am, am I sinning even in, in ignorance against you, but even presumptively and willfully against you? Lord, and, and then what? And then and thank you and praise you that you deliver me from evil and temptation. I mean, what, give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses. We forgive those who trespass against us and lead me not into temptation today, Lord. Let me not forget all of your benefits, Lord, that there are things I will not even experience because your gracious hand is working upstream today. And I thank you for it. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Like, how long does that take you? Just a few minutes. And then I brush my teeth. I get, start to get dressed. I go to my kitchen table and I open up the Bible and right now I'm in Psalms and Luke. And uh, in fact, I was a Psalm uh, 20, this last one, and uh, uh, Psalm 20 and Luke 
chapter 16, and I start reading the word of God. And I want you to see this on the screen again. Psalm 130, verse five. I wait for the Lord, my whole being waits. And in his word, I put my hope. And what I'm doing that morning to start my day is, this is it. This is the best part, Lord. I'm putting my hope in you through my prayers and, and through your word. And this is, I don't need the false philosophies of the world. I, I don't need the hopes of consumerism and the market, marketers. What I need is I wait for the Lord. My whole being waits. And in his word, I put my hope. Waiting for a word. Waiting to hear the voice of God. When I was an undergrad at Baylor University, I met this beautiful young lady named Donna Labus, and she became my wife, praise God. And uh, I, I fell in love with her quickly. We both fell in love quickly. But what you need to know is after we were dating for a little while, um, I, I was a fifth-year senior, and she was a, uh, it was her junior year. I took an extra lap um, and uh, did it in graduate school, too. I'm a little slow. And so... So what ended up happening was when we fell in love, well, one night at her, uh, after we'd been together on a date, um, I just felt like it was time, you know, that moment. I was like, all right. So I just laid it all out there. And I just said, I love you, Donna. And she just smiled. <laughs> and she didn't say anything. And I waited. And she had this look like, thank you. I'm glad y'all think that's funny. That's not funny. <laughs> and so then I'm waiting, and she, there's, there's nothing. I'm waiting for some words to come out. So then the next day, I'm waiting. Nothing. The second day, nothing. And on the third day, she rose again. No, uh, no. <laughs> right? I'm waiting. I'm waiting. And on the third day, finally, she says to me, I love you too. And I, for 30, nearly 31 years of marriage, when I write notes and I write cards or I text her, I end it with ilum, I-L-Y-M, I love you more. And she says to our three kids, Grant, Rebecca, and Cole, now we have six, including the in-laws, uh, the, the, the kids, I, I consider myself now to have six uh, children, not just Grant, Rebecca, and Cole, but Jessica or Jesse, who Grant married, and Matthew, who my daughter Rebecca married, and Hannah, who my son Cole married. Uh, these six kids, I tell they know, say, I love her more. And she'll say sometimes when the kids were growing up, she'd say, oh, that's just so ridiculous. You do not love me more. And I say, yes, I do. And she says, that's so dumb. I said, no, I literally love you more. I'm three days ahead and always will be. <laughs> You want to catch up? You better hope I die first, and you better live three more days. The kids think that is so funny, but I waited. You know what it is to wait on a word? 400 years between the Testaments. It's called the intertestamental period. From the last prophecy of Malachi to the first words coming out, there was a 400-year gap where God was not sending his word through his prophets between Malachi and Matthew is to wait. You know what you do in waiting? You experience immense difficulty and not always immediate deliverance. 
God strengthens your hope and expectant believing because he is who he says he is going to do what he says he's going to do. You just wait on the words you already do know, what it is that you have read, what it is that does seep in. Oh, Lord, that our hearts would be fertile soil for your word. What does it mean then to put our hope in his word? What does it really mean to put your hope in God's word? That becomes the question. If Jeremiah says, hey, don't pay attention to the false hopes of the spoken visions of man about how we're going to make things better, pay attention to what the word of God says, then what does it mean to put your hope in God's word becomes the question. And it means to study God's word, to believe God's word, and to live on God's word. This is where real hope comes from. You want to get rid of false hope and be filled with true hope? Study the word of the Lord. Study God's word. We study the word is what we do. 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, all scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. All scripture is God-breathed. All is useful for what? for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. When mankind attempts to speak visions about how things are, how things could be, therefore how they should be, and it doesn't turn out, maybe we have not allowed our minds to be instructed and corrected and rebuked by the Word of God. There's nothing greater than for me to have a thought. I remember early on as a brand new Christian, 17 years old, I came to faith in Christ as a 17-year-old. And I shared that with you guys back on February the 19th in that message on forgiveness. And I remember when I first started reading the Bible and I'd open up the Bible and it'd say something I didn't believe. And that happened often. When you're a new Christian, it's like, well, I don't believe that. I run into God's word. I get to decide. And, and, and over a period of time, as God grows your heart, and as you study, but, but you decide, is it God-breathed? Is it useful to correct me? Is my mindset constantly being reformed? Is the reformation over or am I reformed and always being reformed? I'm not talking about the theology. I'm talking about, am I allowing the word of God to literally reform my thinking, my beliefs, and my worldview? It'll change what comes out of my mouth. It'll also change what I receive from the, what, the spoken visions from the minds of men. I hear all, I read all kinds of philosophy. I, I read stuff even today, and I'm like, nah, that's not how things are, because the Word of God has equipped me to refute false ideologies and political economies that are not going to fix the world. Only the Messiah, who is the true and faithful one, will do that for me. So I put my hope in Him and not in false messiahs. Secondly, we must believe the word. I mean, do you really believe it when you're reading it? Like, I mean, you're like, no, this, thus saith the Lord. This is beautiful. This is amazing. I had one of our elders ask me, a younger elder on our elder council at Hillside Christian Church, where I have the privilege of serving as one of the pastors there. Love, love, love Hillside. Uh, been there 18 years now, and, and it's just a loving congregation. I'm so grateful for them. And one of the elders asked me in, in a, a, a small group that we were in, couples group, he said, Pastor, he said, Tommy, what really brings you the most peace? Like, how do, you, how do you, in the middle of all the pressure that you have for your job, how do you get peace? And I say, praying the scriptures, period. That's it for me. I open up the word of God and I pray scripture. 
I don't do as well praying if I just start praying with my eyes closed. If I read scripture and actually pray everything as I'm reading scripture, it makes your reading time slower, but I do a close reading of scripture and then I just pray the scriptures and I pray whatever the Holy Spirit puts on my mind and my heart as I'm praying uh, the scriptures. I find the peace of God just overwhelms me beyond any human understanding. It is through his word, but I believe his word. Psalm 33, four, for the word of the Lord is right and true. He is faithful in all he does. Can you say amen to that? Yeah, but if you can't, if you literally couldn't in your heart, and, and I give room for the fact that some of you today are like, I'm not even a believer. Hey, we're just glad you're here. If you are not a believer, I promise you, I'm grateful you're here. The people of Eastview are grateful you're here. You don't have to believe what this church believes, what I believe, what the leadership here believes to attend here, right? You may be just checking out the claims of Christianity, but, but here's what we as Christians believe. And again, if you're not there yet, I'm really humbled and grateful that you would even be willing to listen uh, to someone like me that believes what I believe, but I don't think you're here on accident. As Christians, we believe that the word of the Lord is right and true and that he is faithful in all he does. He'll do what he says he's going to do because he is who he says that he is. Revelation 21.5, John in his vision said, he who was seated on the throne said, I'm making everything new then he said, write this down for these words are trustworthy and true. The Bible ends with a reminder that the word of God is trustworthy and true. I study it, we believe it, and then we must live on it. We must take action with it. This redirects the visions of our hearts and fills us with true hope, not the false hope of the world. We live on the word. Jesus I give you Jesus here, Matthew 4, 4, Jesus answered, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Man doesn't live just on, on the bread alone, but Lord, what do you say? This is what sustains me. This is what sustains my life. I want to close was saying the greatest clarity and vision that we can get in the word of God is when God tells us how things really are. And one of the things he has told us is we are all sinners and we need to turn to the son, to the Lord Jesus Christ, to believe in him. Several years ago when my youngest son, Cole, who's now uh, 21, he'll be 22 this summer. Cole was about four years old and at dinner time, I would always say to the kids, hey, who wants to pray for the meal? Cole volunteered this day to pray. So we all bow our heads and Cole starts praying. Dear Jesus, I want to thank you that I'm the only one in this family who does not sin. <laughs> I'm looking and I'm trying not to laugh. I'm looking... My wife's looking, and I think two things in my heart. That's how he started his prayer off. No, no lie. I thought, number one, I have failed as a father. <laughs> All right? We are failing in our parenting. And we, Don and I are looking across. We're trying to not bust out laughing. Right? And number two, that is some jacked up theology you got, son. <laughs> We're going to need to correct that. All right? I thank you that I'm the only one who's not sinned. And I thank you for this food in Jesus' name. Amen. Right? And so, uh, but he quickly came to a place where he acknowledged that he is a sinner. And then in time, I have watched God grow him 
and I'm watching him now. He, he uh, is pre-med. He wants to, at this point, he's like, I'm trusting the Lord with this. I want to be an ophthalmologist. He wants to be an eye surgeon. And uh, he's working for an ophthalmologist. He's in his last year, an undergrad biology major and uh, at West Texas A&M University. And uh, he, he said to me, uh, probably just a year or so, two years ago, maybe in the middle of the pandemic while he's in college, we were going to the grocery store, pulled up to a stoplight, and he said, Dad, it is amazing that the closer I walk with Jesus, the darker I realize my soul is in the stain of sin that is on me. <laughs> what a difference time makes when we acknowledge this. So what the Word of God says, that's where we all are. Paul said, I'm filled with such sin, who's going to rescue me? from this body of death, but thanks be to the Lord Jesus Christ. 1 John 5, 11 and 13. Boy, I can study God's word. I can believe his word, but I can live on these words right here. This is all I need. 1 John 5, 11 through 13. And this is the testimony. God has given us eternal life. And this life is in his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Whoever has the son has life. Whoever does not have the son of God does not have life. I write these things to you, the spoken vision from God's mouth, not the minds of men. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. It's no jeopardy. There's no guessing game. This is how things are. We must acknowledge that the real vision from God is the world is broken because of sin, it requires repentance, and we put all of our hope and trust through him and his word and who he says he is and what he says he'll do. And he says, I am the God who, if you put your hope and faith and trust in my one and only son, the Lord Jesus Christ, I will save you. You will have eternal life, and I will come for you again to the glory of God. Amen. Let's pray. Father, if there's anyone here right now that's been filled with the false hope of the spoken visions of mankind's worldviews, and they know right now that they, there's something different and they need you, Lord Jesus, may they turn and repent of their sins right now. Just between you and them, may they say, Lord Jesus, forgive me. Come into my life and change me. I know I'm a sinner. I know I have a sinful nature. I don't want the false hope of the world. I want true hope in you. I believe your word, so I confess my sin. I thank you for dying on the cross for me, for shedding your blood to cleanse me, for coming back from the dead to give victory over my sin and death. Come into my life, Lord Jesus, I want you to be my leader and my forgiver, my Lord and my Savior forever. In Christ's name, we pray these things. Amen.